Hello everyone, I'm Mark. And I'm Nick. And welcome back to a new episode of Letters to Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the American justice system. This will be the part one of a new ongoing series that series that we're launching. Yeah, we want to dissect our legal system and understand not only our relationship with law enforcement, but also the legal system as it you know pertains to the American life. Yep. Law and order in the American way. So, Nick, you want to kick us off? Take it away. Okay, so in my research, I've learned quite a bit about um, law enforcement. I think we should probably really focus on law enforcement at least in this episode not yeah law enforcement simply because that's kind of how everything started there's not many people know how our police system you know initially started off we often think about police officers as just being always being what they are today but they've actually come a long way to evolve into that so it actually um, the policing system kind of started during a colonial era, uh, specifically in the colonies um, in New York, in Boston. And they were what what they call the night watch. Um, They were more of like a volunteer service and people would sign up to, you know, just guard the night essentially, try to prevent petty crimes like public intoxication and um, prostitution. Um, But, It was also, it was not only a volunteer service, it was also a form of punishment. So if people committed crimes, they could actually be forced to sign up for the night watch. Um, And that went on for a while. It wasn't as efficient as the colonies grew and the population, you know, increased in this. And as, you know, some of the colonies became more urban, urbanized, it wasn't a very efficient system. And also a lot of the men who would be a part of the night watch would engage in drinking alcohol during their shifts and also falling asleep. So they weren't really serving any purpose. And oftentimes wealthy people would hire known criminals for for their own personal protection or to take their place um, in the night watch if they were asked to um, sign up for it. So that was really interesting. And then I also kind of learned how the policing system was very economically focused because they were created to protect the economic interests of businesses. So the first publicly funded policing system actually started in Boston. And at the time, this was in 19, I'm sorry, 1838. And Boston at that point was a major city of commerce and businesses relied on the police force to protect their property. And they were able to pass off the responsibility for funding this uh, police force to taxpayers and kind of made it seem like it was one of those things that, you know, this is beneficial for everyone. And that's how they were able to um, get a publicly funded policing system in Boston. Now, if we travel a little further south, they had a similar policing system, or I should say one that was that had a similar purpose in terms of protecting the interests of um, businesses and the economy. But if you know your history, you know what the economy in the South was primarily, you know, composed of. 
slavery. Slavery. <laughs> exactly. So they they made the police force to police the slaves. The slave patrollers. Yes. Okay. They were they were their job was to catch runaways and prevent you know any uprisings. And, you know, basically to preserve the economic system of slavery huh. in the South. I actually never thought about them as law enforcement, but now, okay, now that kind of makes sense. They're they're part of law enforcement. They're basically like the U.S. Marshals of their time. They had to go and retrieve the quote unquote fugitives, the slaves that ran away. I never right. actually thought about them being law enforcement. That's that's what our modern our modern day policing system evolved from that from that model. So one of the interesting things too is that a lot of the slave patrollers became members of the Ku Klux Klan after the Civil War, and then there was this tradition of law enforcement also being Klan members, which can continue into the 20th century. Um, local sheriffs in the South often operated much like slave patrollers too, because their sole purpose seemed to be to oppress, you know, Black Americans by enforcing segregation, uh, suppressing voting, and basically turning a blind eye, or even sometimes participating in lynchings against uh, the Black residents in those cities and towns that they patrolled. So that's one of the reasons why there seems to, well, I'm not going to say there seems to be, there is this, you know, negative uh, relationship between Black Americans and law enforcement because it essentially oppressed our ancestors, because not only from the beginning of, you know, when our ancestors were enslaved, but even after our ancestors, you know, were... Because essentially um, the, the system, the law enforcement system was set up to control the slaves. Control the enslaved and then when they, when they earned their, when they were, when they gave, when they were, when they received their freedom and were considered citizens in this country, law enforcement continued to oppress them by preventing them from being able to realize their full citizenship. Yep. It prevented them from voting and pre- did not serve and protect them. It actually terrorized them because again, they were mem- a lot, many of these police officers were members of the Ku Klux Klan as well. So we all know what the, the Klan does. So it's pretty obvious um, why that relationship is so um, tempestuous, obviously. Now, moving into the mid to late 1800s, at that point, you know, America was kind of being operated as a political machine. There was a lot of money in politics and, you know, a lot of local politicians would um, basically control their local policing systems. So they would buy off and bribe police officers who would basically sometimes suppress voting in their, and this happened all over the country, and especially in larger cities. This led to a lot of corruption. And again, it, they protected the interests of these powerful politicians and businessmen. Um, moving into the 1900s, the early 1900s, um, you have this man named August Vollmer. He's known as the father of modern policing. And some of the, I would love to, I need to do a little bit more digging on him because I'm actually kind of fascinated with some of the things that he believed. But he felt that policing, you know, required an understanding of sociology, social work, and psychology. 
And he felt that police officers should have a college education and that they should also patrol the neighborhoods in which they lived. And then he also was one of the people who promoted um, creating a separate system for trying juveniles instead of trying juveniles as adult when they adults when they committed crimes. So in the early 1900s, you kind of had this seemingly because 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 the policing system again was still very very new in terms of like you know the modern police system is still re- relatively you know new. There really wasn't a lot of like organization, and for those police forces that did exist. There really wasn't a lot of guidance on how they should operate, and no, and many of them again were still being controlled by wealthy, powerful businesses and business owners and things of that nature. So, as we move into the 19, the you know first quarter of the 1900s, you have the creation of the FBI, FBI and that's when we started seeing a shift in how policing. Um, operated because at this point their sole mission was to prevent street crimes and prevent organized crimes or stop organized crime because at that point prohibition was going on and you know during the prohibition era there was a lot of organized crime as a result so that's where their focus was what what their focus was on and one thing you'll notice in with the policing system during the 1900s and the early 2000s you'll see that there's a lot of shifting in police methods as you know large scale things happen for instance in the 196 uh, by the 1960s I should say uh, law enforcement was not as efficient at reducing crime or keeping peace and their methods were so oppressive because they they, they frequently went after people who did not you know who weren't members of mainstream American society so at that point, you know, the civil rights era is just kind of starting off. African-Americans were starting to resist uh, police officers, the the tactics that police officers would use to basically oppress their communities. Because, you know, people were not being prevented from being able to vote. Black people were being prevented from being able to vote. You know, these are rights that they have, that they're entitled to. But law enforcement was preventing them from exercising those rights. And then you also had the LGBTQ community who were being, you know, oppressed in so many ways. But law enforcement was, you know, no different in, in, in directing their oppression to this particular group of people as well. And you had the Stonewall um, Rebellion. I'm sure you've heard about that. Yes, definitely. So, Which was started because the police officers were... Targeting... Tar- tar- yeah, they, they were targeting. They were trying to arrest... Um, so they're they're trying to they're trying to shut down the gathering at the at the bar because at that time gay people couldn't really gather in like groups there in was, like public public places. So right there, you know, th- there's still so much stigma to- at this point in history of, of being <laughs> gay, being you know, being a member of the LGBTQ community, and this is was happening all over the country. So you know. Um, in 1969, you know, police raided the Stonewall Inn in New York and started arresting people. And patrons just, you know, had become fed up and they fought back. And then I think there was like a almost a week long uh, riot that occurred, you know, between the, um, you know, patrons and people of that neighborhood 
against, you know, law enforcement, who was, again, oppressing them. Do you like supporting local business? How about Black-owned local business? Or even better, a Black female-owned local business? Well, if you do, we have the perfect business for you. Black Forward Clothing Inc., a new clothing brand owned and designed by Mercedes Scott. They have an array of affordable clothes such as t-shirts, jackets, hoodies, joggers, and even a face mask. So you can fight COVID in style. They say true to their slogan, it's more than a name, it's a power movement. By pushing their brand to bring awareness to mental health and anti-hate. So support the movement by supporting the brand. You can find a link for the store in the description below. So there shifting there there became a shift in um, policing at that point as well, and even into the 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 seventies, the eighties, and the early nineties. I think there at that point policing kind of tried to go back to what uh, the early nineties. I'm sorry, the early nineteen hundreds. They wanted to go back. They wanted to return to those type those tactics where they were, you know focusing on social work, focusing on connecting with their communities and having people that look like, you know, the people of that community or even members of that community as law enforcement. In and, theory, on paper, they tried. I don't know if they were yeah. successful. Because I feel like, I think we're, we're, I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, police officers say that social work is a big part of their job, but... I'm like, I don't, I don't see that. I see brute force being part of the job. I don't see any social work or understanding of the situation when it comes well, to the job. Yes, well, I'm getting to that now because at that point, this is, we're talking about the, you know, the late 70s, the 80s, the early 90s. Crime was actually on the decline. And because so many police officers had been hired and they, they were, again, going back to that method, those, those tactics of, you know, social work and you know, basically protecting and serving the community, you started seeing a reduction in crime. You started seeing, um, again, more police officers looking like they are members of this neighborhood. But then you had Columbine. And you the, started seeing... The situation, the, the event that changed everything. Columbine, and then the, the, that's when they, they had to change their methods to start focusing on how to protect people and prevent um, devastation from these mass shootings that we started to see a surge of. Because I don't I don't remember there ever being a bunch of mass shootings before Columbine. There but was, it seems like since there Columbine, one, there's been a bunch yeah. of mass shootings. At least that's what we, we, we hear about, you know, in, there, the, in the media now. There's one, there was one big one before Columbine. Um, in Texas, but that was like in the mid to late 60s. So before mm-hmm. then, there was there weren't any really mass shootings. But Columbine is the one that several people who've committed mass shootings since, especially ones that are taking place at schools, they've all seemed to, they all referenced Columbine. I know the Virginia mm-hmm. Tech student, in his like manifesto, he mentioned that he like watched Columbine, he did research on Columbine. So 
that also leads me to talk about like the the connection law enforcement has with the news media. Oh, we're definitely going to have to talk about that because definitely. that is one of the main reasons why there is so much um, polarization between law enforcement and you know many Americans now because of the mainstream media. I think they're to blame for a lot of it. Um, but I do want to um, talk a little bit about how in the late 90s and the early 2000s, there the, the tactics of police officers have changed, or law enforcement, I should say, have changed. They, they're constantly changing to keep up with, you know, what become, what's considered a, a major threat at that point. So as you had the mass shootings at the end of the 90s with Columbine, and then you started, you had 9-11. So now the, now the focus is shifting to uh, terrorism and preventing terrorism. And now that's still a major focus, but technology has also changed the way that law enforcement is doing their job. It has, in some ways, it has made it a bit more efficient, especially at preventing some crimes. Um, they, they They have a lot of technology at their disposal now. And some have said that this particular technology actually is harmful to citizens because you know there's a lot of surveillance going on um and so i I wonder how do you feel about that because some people feel that it's surveillance yeah a lot of the constant surveillance i'm actually one of those people who is who is very pro of uh, bush's patriot act Patriot Act um, gave the American government the right to monitor cell phone chatter, monitor text messages, monitor the internet, monitor pretty much any form of communication, uh, uh, CCTV. And initially I was like, you know, after 9-11 and all the various terrorist attacks like on American soil since, I'm like, yes, monitor 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 like I you can just see whatever I'm doing and also that same monitoring comes is very helpful and useful when it comes to, the, to them um tracking down the various like pedophile rings that pop up on the dark web so for some for those particular aspects incidences I'm all for the over being overwatched but then when it comes to like personal privacy, then I'm like, hmm, because you can be jokingly, you can jokingly send something or say something as like an innocent joke between you and a friend and somewhere, someone far away who doesn't know you is just reading or hearing what you just said. And now you're probably on some watch list and you don't even know it. And that's where I completely, you know, disagree in terms of being supportive of the Patriot Act and this policing privacy simply because you know I just don't see it as being necessary or helpful in that regard because there are so many people I feel like as an American I've always felt that privacy was one of those things that 
we benefit from having a, you know, it, it is in some, in many ways, it is a privilege, but it's, I see it as a right. And I feel like the Patriot Act kind of violates that. And I, I worry about this technology being used in a corrupt way. And it seems like there is a history of corruption in law enforcement. And in my research, I noticed that pattern occurring in many different instances. You know, not even just going back to, you know, the prohibition era or, you know, when America was being run like a political machine. I'm talking recently. Um, in fact, uh, I think it was 2010, New York, the state of New York had ended their quota system. So police officers were no longer supposed to target, you know, people or, you know, th- no longer had quotas that they had to meet in order to, for, you know, preventing crimes or reporting crimes. They had a quota for that? Yes. That's, I think some states still that do. That leads to a lot of... It did. It did. And I actually watched the documentary. What's it called? Um, let me see. Hold on one second. Because I know I just watched that documentary in doing my research. And that was one of the that was one of the documentaries that was supposed to kind of provide you with more of a mm-hmm. uh, sympathetic view of law enforcement and understand what they go through. Oh, well, it's a documentary for the cops. Exactly. It was called Crime and Punishment. It's on Hulu. It was really fascinating because this group of police officers who were, who lived in New York, they lived, I think they were, um, it was a group of 12, I believe. And this was, this, this, I think in 2000, this happened in 2015 after a New York, uh, New York had, the state of New York had officially banned quotas. Uh, their particular I think their precinct or whatever was still using the quota system and they were targeting people of color. They were targeting um, people in the LGBT community. And these cops were like, this is against the law. Why are we doing this? And they banded together and they stood up against them. And I think they were able to, (laughs) because it was, it was, this is when I watched the documentary. They, they, They had a number of, cases that they focus on I know one young man was being wrongfully accused of shooting somebody that he didn't shoot and the cops were trying to pin the crime on him and the wit- the, there were a number of witnesses who were like no this person wasn't there and even the victim the person who was shot the cops were like trying to force him to say that this person shot him and he was like I did not see who shot me and I'm not going to say that this person shot me because I did not see who shot me. And I think he ended up being in jail for a period of time because the cops were like, well, you're not going to get out of here until you say that this person shot you. And that just goes to show you that the, the amount of pressure that so many of these cops were under because their, their, their particular, their chief of police or whoever was in charge wanted to continue using this system and they it, it pressured them into creating false crimes and false ar- arrest records for these individuals, basically destroying the community that they serve or just supposedly protecting. Just to make hit their hit their quotas every single month. That's why I have an issue with, you know, police having access to certain technology and the ability to do certain things because there's a lot of corruption that exists there 
Don't even get me started with CPD. Don't even get me started with CPD. That's a whole nother episode, honestly. But there's, there's a, and there's a growing, there's a growing mistrust between, and I, I mean, it's, I shouldn't say growing, it's already there, really, between law enforcement, between law enforcement and, you know, your, your everyday Americans, most Americans. And I think it's important that we talk about now the, <laughs> the killings of people at the hands of police officers because that's what's been in the media the last decade. Thank you all so much for joining us. All the the link to the documentary you mentioned will be in the description along with a link to our website which will have much more information on all the uh, incidents and examples that Nick brought up. Thank you all. Should we do an intro?